You know, we are in this series today called Equip. Let me hear you say Equip. Equip is a series that we've been going through. It's also a training experience, a small group training experience that many, we have over five, 600 people participating in. And we believe that Jesus has given us this commission as a church where he says to go and to make disciples. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says it this way. It's what's called the Great Commission. He said to his, he said to his followers, all authority has been given to me. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. I am with you always to the end of the age. In other words, keep doing this until I come back again. Keep making disciples. And so we want to be a church that is the greatest disciple-making church of our generation. And so we have just been walking down this path of what it means to be equipped. Nuts and bolts, tangible, tactical, practical. How can we be someone who looks like Jesus? That's what a disciple is. Who would Jesus be if Jesus were you? And so today I want to talk about one habit that can completely transform your life. In most studies, this is the number one catalyst for life change. It's this habit that I want to talk about today. I want to talk to you with everything that I have and use all of my persuasive powers for you to adopt this habit. Now, I'm starting at a deficit, and let me tell you why. Habits aren't always the most exciting things to talk about, are they? Like some of us have some really good habits, and some of us have some really bad habits. Like some of you chew a lot of gum, you know? Some of you have, have a bad habit of right before you go to bed, you eat a bowl of ice cream or cereal or, or a donut. Some of you tailgate people on 400. You have some really bad habits. But some of you have some great habits. You have some great habits. You ate kale for breakfast. That's how it's a great habit that you have. And, and habits can be feel a little mundane and feel a little unexciting. It's a little bit like if you were to plant something in your yard. Anybody work in your yard yesterday, by the way? Anybody? Come on. Right? It was an incredible day. Let's say you planted something. What do you have to do every day? You have to water the plant. You have to water it. If it's a tree or if it's flowers, it doesn't matter. You have to water it so it will grow. The, the reason you water it is so that it will get the nutrients it needs to grow. That is a habit. And it's not that you wake up every day and think, oh, wow, this is going to be awesome. I get to water my plants today. But what happens is as it grows in consistently over time, you end up with what you wanted. You end up with something that's going to make your yard look better. It's going to give you a lot of satisfaction. This is what habits do. Habits are these consistent practices that we have over time that deliver dramatic results over that long period of time. And so we all have great habits, and I want to give you a habit today. It's going to be the best habit that you could adopt for your transformation. Here, here's a quote about habits that I found this week that's really good. So you sow a thought. In other words, you plan a thought, and you reap an act. So if you think about it, you generally are going to do it. If you think about something long enough, you're going to do it. If you sow an act, you're going to reap a habit. Something that you do over and over and again, it's going to be a habit. Now, how many of you have ever heard that it takes 21 days to establish a habit? Okay, that's a lie. It doesn't, does it? Like if you've ever tried, you know it takes a lot longer than 21 days generally. And unless you really love it, and then it takes about two days, right? Habits can take long, but when you sow an act over a period of time, that turns into a habit. And once you sow a habit, that is your character. Character is important to us. We know that people of character are the people that we want to be. You want to be known as a person of character. You sow this habit, any habit, you're going to re that's your character. You sow a character, you reap your destiny. So habits lead to the life that we want. 
And the number one catalyst for spiritual growth, the number one thing that you can do in order to grow, in order to establish your character and to nourish your soul is to absorb God's words. Absorb God's words. So God's words spoke creation into being. God's words gave Adam and Eve the breath of life. God's words are what holds everything together. God's words are his power, and we should absorb those into our life. They should soak into our lives the way water soaks into the roots of a plant. So how do you do that? That feels a little ambiguous. That doesn't seem like a habit. Here is where the habit comes from. It's a very simple habit. It's going to be so easy for you to do, but it's something that we resist. We absorb God's words by reading God's word. We absorb God's words. We absorb God's power. We build a life. We build our character by reading God's word. Reading God's word, what we would call the Bible. So, so how many of you, how many of you have maybe, um, maybe one of your grandparents' Bible or an older Bible at your house? Raise your hand. Like a handful of you. First service is a lot more spiritually mature than you are. So, uh, no jokes. I had one. I left it in the back. But I have, I have a Bible that was my grandfather, one of my grandfather's Bible was given to him in 1933 by my grandmother. Hand signed. Kind of cool. Now, I, I used to have a lot of older Bibles. I used to have a lot of Bibles that came from my grandparents, my great-grandparents, some that you know, came over on a boat. Um, I mean, I had a lot of older Bibles, hundreds of years old. I had one Bible that was my grandfather. My grandfather was a pastor. And my grandmother, while he was preaching, would write down his notes and outlines so that if he was ever anywhere and called on to preach, she could just hand him that Bible and he would have a sermon already. It was really cool. Used to have that Bible. I also had, used to have those little Bibles you get. Uh, some of you will remember this when you dedicate your children. Anybody? I remember that? You dedicated your baby and you got that little New Testament. Yeah, I used to have all those Bibles and I had them in my office. But then my office was struck by lightning and burned to the ground. And all of those Bibles burned. They were destroyed. And what I lost was something of some sentimental value. Now the Bible is not to, meant just to be a sentimental book that sits on our mantle between the candlesticks and the paper and the uh, picture frames. The Bible is not meant to be sentimental, but instrumental tool to change our lives. The Bible is meant to change us, to breathe life into us, to make us different. It's not just some words on a page, but it's God's words into our heart. This is how we establish the character that we want to have and nourish our souls. You know, one of the things that we say around here is when you open your Bible. God opens his mouth. We believe that when you open your Bible, God, God opens his mouth. And I, and, I, and I realize that in our culture that, that the Bible has fallen out of favor. And I know that even when I was a kid, you could say the Bible says and it meant something. It doesn't mean anything now. And, and, and that's okay out there. But in here, we need to understand what this word means to us. We don't need to use it, though, as a weapon to attack the world, but as a tool to build us up. As a tool that will breathe life into us. And it's a habit that I'm passionate about because it's transformed my life. And I fundamentally believe it can transform yours. I believe it's essential to our spiritual growth and establishing the character and nourishing our souls. Man, I tell you what, if you read consistently and you build a habit of reading your Bible into your life, at the end of your days, you will have a life of character and a life of reputation that your kids and grandkids will look to with affection. 
Ladies, if you will adopt this habit of consistently reading your Bible and incorporating it into your life, you will have a character of strength and beauty that others will notice and be attracted to. These are the kind of people that is promised for us to, is promised to become if we will just adopt this. And it's not reading the Bible so that we can find some rules to follow. i got plenty of rules to follow. I don't need any more. But it breathes life into our souls. So I want us to kind of unpack that today. So speaking of the Bible, let's open our Bibles. So we're going to be in Psalm chapter 1. Psalms chapter 1, you know, you can always grab a paperback in the back of the room um, and have it for yourself. It's free. Um, You can also, online, there are so many tools and apps and opportunities for you. If you have a paper Bible, you can open it to the middle. It's kind of where Psalms is. And we're going to look at Psalms verse 1, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And so blessed is the man, meaning anybody, meaning people. Blessed is the man or humans. It doesn't, it's not gender specific. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, but sits in the seat of scoffers. His delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. Here's the life we're promised. Here's the life we're promised. He's like a tree planted by the streams of water, yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, and he goes on to unpack that. All that he does, he prospers, he grows, he progresses, he gets better. This is the promise of what happens when we read the Bible. Now, now, he uses, in this particular psalm, he's using the word law of the Lord. He's using this, this phrase. And when this psalm was written, he would have been referring to the portion of the Bible that was written up until that point in history. And so now for us, as we think of the law of the Lord or the words of God, we look at the written words of God that reflect the living word of God, who is Jesus. They reflect that to breathe life into us. So we look at that as the Bible. And so there's a few things about the Bible is that, as I talk about them that you need to know that, so that you would know that it's reliable. There is so much more where this came from. There's more evidence as we unpack the evidence of the resurrection last week. There is more evidence to the reliability and the authority of the Bible. But I just want to hit a few highlights just to, for our conversation for today. Now, the first thing to note is the Bible is living and active. It's not just a dead book. It's living and active. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says the word of God, meaning these written words of God, is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit. In other words, it has this effect in our soul and spirit. It can unveil some things. It can get deep into our hearts the same way that it could pierce the joints and marrows of your body. And then it goes on to say it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I don't know that I always know the thoughts and intentions of my heart. Do you? It says that the God's word has this ability. It's living and active. We're not just reading words off a page. We're reading words into our heart. That's what happens. Now, now, when it comes to the, the Bible being a reliable book, just a few words about the Bible, because I know, I know that sometimes it can be difficult to read, and people say that's too hard. People will say some things like, I don't understand it. And that's probably because you haven't tried hard enough. You know, you, you probably haven't dove in and realized exactly what it can do for your life, if you're just being honest. And so I just want to unpack a little bit of that. So the Bible is technically 66 books. So in this book, there are 66 books. Now, it's divided into Old and New Testament. Old Testament was before Jesus was born. New Testament is after. 
And so you kind of have this division. You have to look at both of them a little differently. And how, because a lot of things in the Old Testament are fulfilled in Jesus in the New Testament. But you have this, this division in New Testament, Old Testament, written by 40 different authors. 40. Now, last week we talked about witnesses. That there were witnesses to the resurrection. That this is why the resurrection is so credible, is that there were so many witnesses. In the Bible, what we have are the written words of the witnesses. This is what we have. This is why the Bible is so important. Because it is the written words of the witnesses. It gives us the stability that we're looking for. We're not just subject to our own feelings about life. We can know based on what's written down. The evidence of the witnesses. Now, now here's something that's, that's crazy about the reliability of the Bible. So we have about 10,000 manuscripts of the Bible. They're written in three different languages, Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew. Okay, we have about 10,000 different manuscripts. And so they would have one manuscript, they would copy them down, and they were very meticulous. All of them agree with each other, 10,000 manuscripts. Now, you, don't, you really don't know if that's a lot or a little, do you, until you compare it to other manuscripts in antiquity. Like, is that a lot or a little? Well, let's just look at it this way. There was this guy named Homer that wrote the Odyssey and the Iliad. Anybody have to read that? Like, that was hard, wasn't it? Like, if you read that, you can read the Bible, man. Come on. Like, that was hard. But Odyssey, nobody doubts that the Odyssey and the Iliad is what Homer wrote. Homer wrote, uh, and we have 2,000 copies of Homer's manuscripts. 20% of what we have of the Bible, 2,000 of that, okay? So let's just keep going for a second. There's this guy named Aristotle. Maybe you've heard of him. He's formed a lot of what we think. Aristotle was super smart. Aristotle was a great philosopher, did a lot of things. You would think we have a lot of his manuscripts. We have 49 manuscripts from Aristotle. That is a lot less for those of you math geniuses than 10,000. Just saying. 49. Now, what about Plato? Plato was the guy who's formed Western thought. Many of us don't even realize the belief systems that we have that were formed by Plato. Guess how many manuscripts of his writings do we have? Seven. We have seven as opposed to 10,000. So as we begin to understand the veracity and the reliability of the Bible, what we need to do, especially if you're here discovering and understanding and wanting to know about the Bible and about what it says about Jesus and can you trust it, this will give you a little bit of comfort knowing that we have 10,000 manuscripts, not to include over 10,000 quotations from people from that time period. Okay, another, another thing that's important when studying manuscripts is how far away in time were they from the actual events that happened? How far away were they? So for the average writing in antiquity, the ones I just looked at, Homer, Plato, Aristotle, oh, and by the way, guess how many uh, writings of Socrates we have? The Socratic method, the things that we know about, guess how many we have? Zero. There is nothing that Socrates wrote. All we have is what people said he said. So so back to uh, the original, back to my next point. The distance in antiquity of most manuscripts, Homer and Aristotle and Plato, is the first manuscripts we have um, are about a thousand years from when they actually lived. Thousand years. Okay, so so what what about the Bible? Less than a hundred, right? So you go from a thousand to less than a hundred. We have evidence that we can trust what's written down in the Bible as being authentic, as being trustworthy, and as being able to establish our character and nourish our souls. And 
to top it all off, even Jesus used what was written down in his own life. We're a people that wants to look like Jesus. We want to live like him. We want to love like him. We want to, we want to be able to impact the world and share the hope that he brings them. And this is what he used. You may remember, some of you, if you've, when, as you've learned stories over the years, there was this time when Jesus was driven in the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil. It says this in Matthew chapter 4. It says, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That feels like an understatement, doesn't it? Oh, I'm hungry. The tempter came and said to him, if you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it is written. It's written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we see that we have historical evidence and we even have Jesus himself using the words that were written down for his own life. So we should, we should adopt this habit of absorbing God's words by reading God's word. You know, <clears throat> one of the things that the writer here uh, gives us a picture of is just He's, when he says a, a tree planted by streams of water yields its fruit in its season, doesn't wither, and all that he does, he, pros, he prospers. Listen, this is, the, this is the, the picture of the life that most of us would want. That we would grow strong, that we would have fruit that impacts the world, that people would look at us and have a favorable opinion of us. Think of it this way. The fruit of your life is what people think about you and say about you. Okay, so have you ever been maybe to a dinner party, maybe to an office function and on your way home, maybe you get into the car with, you know, the plus one you took, whether it was your spouse or fiance or girlfriend or something. And you have a conversation about the people you talk to. You, you, you talk about the people that you talk to. There were some things you noticed about them that you talk about. Anybody do that? People like Mary. Oh, Mary, just she seems to be doing so good. She just got that new job and she has a boyfriend, but there's that one little quirk that got on my nerves. Anybody do that? Some of you. We, we, we say things about people. We talk about people. We talk about the fruit of their life. And, and Debbie and I, sometimes we'll get in the car on the way home and we'll say, what are they saying about us right now? Like, like what is it? What's the conversation they're having? There's a regular question we have on staff with each other. It's like, hey, what are people saying when I'm not in the room? Because sometimes that is the fruit of your life. So what are people saying about you? Like, what do your kids say about you? What do your coworkers say about you when you're not there? Like, like, when do they call you to ask a question or advice or counsel? Like, what is it that's going on? This is the fruit of your life. And this is what the author is saying to us. He's saying, if you want to have, if you want to prosper, if you want your fruit to have influence and impact in the world, you have to have fruit that will last, that is nourished by God's words. It's nourished by God's words. He says it's like a stream. It's like a tree that's planted by the stream. In other words, it's able to take in all of the nourishment. It's intentional about taking in the nourishment that comes from God's words into our life as we absorb them the same way that roots absorb the nutrients for a tree. This is what God's words do for us. You, you know, fruits are a direct reflection of the root. The fruit of our lives is a direct reflection of the roots. All of our lives have more going on underneath the surface than on top, don't they? Have you ever met somebody and maybe they were irritated or frustrated? And you're like, I wonder what in the world's going on with them. Like, well, they seem miserable. And you know that the problem that they're frustrated with is not the real problem, is it? 
C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, be kind for every man faces a great battle. In other words, there's more going on underneath that you can't see. But it makes its way to the outside of the exterior and it makes its way as fruit. Jesus even tells a parable about this over in Luke chapter 8 that, uh, that makes this point about this, the importance of roots. He says this, he was telling this, this parable, he says, A sower went out to sow some seed. As he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on a rock, and as it grew, it just withered away because it had no moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up, and it choked it. But some fell under the good soil, and it grew, and it yielded a hundredfold. And he went on to explain the parable. He says the parable is like this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard it, but when the devil comes, he takes it away from their, from their heart so that they may not believe. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear it, they receive it with joy, but it has no root. They believe for a while, in a time of testing, they fall away. But as for what fell on the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they're choked out by the cares, riches, and pleasures of life. And the fruit doesn't mature. And as for that of the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This is what God's word will do for your life. You'll bear fruit if you have patience. There's, there's two reasons, there's two important functions of roots. One is nourishment. You know, a large tree will soak in about 100 gallons of water a day. Like imagine filling this thing up 100 times and watering a large tree. That would be quite the habit. 100 gallons of water a day. And we, as we read God's word, we're taking in nourishment to help us in our habit so that we're established in our character there's things in the Bible like instructions. Like what do we do when this happens? I need wisdom. I read God's word for wisdom. And it's not that I wake up on a Monday and I, and I ask myself, hey, what do I need to do with this situation? I open it up like the magic eight ball and point to a verse and be like, oh, in the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you. That feels dangerous. It's not like the magic eight ball, but as I read it and process it, it nurses, it gives me wisdom. It helps me see the world. It helps me see what's really going on in the world. Even though the surface may not look, uh, may look chaotic, it helps me understand what God is doing. I, I get encouragement from reading the word, God's word. I, I get encouragement by understanding how God's acted in the past, understanding how much he loves me and understanding how good he is and understanding the good he has for me. I get encouragement from that. I, I get correction I get convicted of sin as I read the, read the Bible and as I read God's words and I try to absorb them into my life. As I read it, I realize I'm not doing that. I need to go confess that. I need to go ask somebody to forgive me for that. And this is how it nourishes our soul. It gives us something to go on. The second thing that roots do, it nourishes us, but the second thing that roots do, they provide stability. They provide stability. And in a world that is so chaotic and so confusing and so up and down roller coaster, we need stability. We need stability. When you have roots that grow deep, the tree can grow tall and more fruit can be shown. You never see a tall tree in a greenhouse. Why is that? Can't grow roots. You have to put it out in the real world where real things happen. And the more 
healthy the root system is, the more fruit the tree can handle. This is why we need, we need God's words in our lives. Now, now, in this particular psalm, he points out some areas that we go to for nourishment that don't really provide it. If you'll notice, the first two verses are kind of a negative slant on this. He says, blessed is the, is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Doesn't, he, he doesn't st- stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. And so what he's saying is, is there are places for us to look to get our attitudes, our belief systems. There are places for us to get you know, our, our, our moral views that are not from God. There are places we're bombarded with so much information and we soak in this information and we don't realize what's happening is our worldview is being shaped by people who don't have God's view of the world. You know, you know, we don't need to be getting our view of morality from CNN and Fox News. We don't, we don't need to get our view of immigration from Facebook or social media. We don't need to get our view of abortion from the Supreme Court. Listen, we don't need to get our view of sex from sex in the city. We don't need to get our view of sex or the city from sex in the city. We don't need to get our view of success from our Instagram followers. We need to have our our worldview shaped and formed by what God says, by who God says we are, and by what he is up to in the world. You see, when, when we get it shaped by other people, what happens is it's unstable. It has no ability to stand the test of time. How do you know when a root system is strong and stable and deep? When the storms come, when the wind blows, when the rain begins to beat down on you. We've all seen trees that were toppled by a strong wind, and we saw their root system was just very, very shallow. And what we have is deep roots, the opportunity to be nourished so that we can have stability to stand the test of time and to bear fruit that we would be proud of and a quality that could be unmatched by any other source of nutrition. We need to be careful and pay attention on that. Now, now what, what the writer goes on to say, he says, there's, as you are nourished, here is how you're nourished by God's word. He uses two words, delight and meditate. Delight and meditate in the law of the Lord. And so when he talks about delight, that word literally means to bend towards. You know, if you like something, you turn towards it, don't you? You know, if you like a donut, you turn towards that donut. If you like a girl, you turn towards that girl. If you like a TV show, you turn towards it. The things that you delight in, you turn towards and you lean towards. So he says, we need to lean towards the things, God's words absorbing in our lives. Then he uses this word meditate. Now meditate, you know, I know it's got some, it's got some weird, weird uh, you know, Near East uh, vibes going on. People seem, t- tend to think that meditation is, you know, me sitting crisscross applesauce humming. Hmm... And what, what meditate means, it just means to talk to yourself. Just talk to yourself. We, we all talk to ourselves, sometimes not out loud. And as they say, the only time it's a problem is when you answer yourself. I could be walking around the house and Debbie will say, I'm having a conversation on my face and I'm not saying anything. She's like, what are you saying to yourself? I'm talking to myself about God, of course. I'm a pastor. Uh, But we just meditate. It goes over and over. We focus on it. We think about it. It's just day and night. It's just this consistent pattern of God's word. It's just this consistent pattern of us meditating and delighting in God's words for our life. It gives us stability and it nourishes 
our soul. You know, you know, a lot of people are kind of like this, this tree right here. Right? Like th- this particular tree, it, it's, got, it's got no roots. It's got no, it's got no fruit, and it's not going to, is it? This, this, this is kind of like the person who's like, but Stephen, you know, I've got, I've got verses all over my house. I've got them framed up. They look so cute. You should come see them. And that's good. But, but are you absorbing those into your heart? Or is it changing your life? Sometimes we do some good things. We may show up on a Sunday. Say, yeah, I, 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 I treat people well. And what happens is we're just this tree that really is only good for gathering dust and going back to goodwill where I found it. And nobody wants to be that kind of tree. And that's what happens when we fail to take advantage of this opportunity God's given us to absorb his words. Like imagine this. Imagine that you planted a tree. You walked out into the yard. You watered it. You went out the next day and there, you didn't see anything. You're like, well, that didn't work. <laughs> Watered it, planted it, did everything. And it is not growing after one day. And sometimes that's what happens when we feel like maybe reading the Bible is too hard. It doesn't fit my schedule. It doesn't fit what I do. It doesn't fit my rhythm. Is we take something that has this ability to transform us and we're short-sighted and we short-circuit God's work in our life. You know, some of us, I, I like this illustration. Some of us are a little bit like a Chia pet. Right? You remember Chia Pets? Chia-chia-chia-chia. Remember that? Like a Chia Pet, <clears throat> it's kind of how we want life to be because we have the, and this is a Chia Pet that's obviously a crying, smiley face, sad emoji. It was either this or a Donald Trump Chia, and I thought I'd, hurt, I'd, I thought I'd offend somebody if I brought Donald Trump up here. Um, and, you know, they, they kind of look the same, though. But you have... You, you, you spread some seeds over the top, you give a little water, and it kind of has some quick sprouts real quick, but it, it's got no roots. It's not going to bear fruit. And this is what some of us do. Like, we may get our verse of the day and think that it's awesome and inspired, then we go on about our life, and it doesn't change us. We may read something inspirational. We may read a Christian book. It makes us feel good, and we get some tools from it. But, but it's not words of life. It doesn't change us, and we're a little bit, we're a little bit if we're honest, we're just a little bit like a bit. Quick microwavable, but not life transformable. Now, now, on the other hand, those who consistently read God's word, and I'm going to give you some real practical tips here in just a second, who consistently read it, they grow up and they bear fruit. Now, when I first began to read the Bible, I thought, how, how, I saw this illustration. I thought, how cool would it be if I just planted a tree and then years later, I just looked to see how big it would get as I read it. And, and this, is, this is the picture of my tree in my yard that's what happens when you read the Bible every day. Very big. My HOA is not happy with me. So, so on a practical standpoint, on a, from a practical standpoint, I just want to give you a couple of, a couple of quick nuts and bolts tangible uh, tools for you to use. First of all, you need to read your Bible and you need a plan. You need to have a plan. You plan everything else in your life. We are the biggest control freaks in history in this room. We plan everything, and you need a plan. The magic eight-ball version of opening and pointing does not work. If you don't have a plan, you're going to be sunk. You need a plan. And specifically, you need a plan to read through large sections of Scripture. 
specific. And then, as I, I was telling you, there's 66 books. You need to read books at a time in the Bible. Now, I, I want to say a little word about those of you guys who read devotional. Guys and girls, you read devotionals. Those things are good. They are supplemental. They're not the staple for your spiritual growth. When you read a devotional, I read them too as supplement. You may pick something on leadership or on marriage or on conflict. It's really more about you than it is about God changing you. You're looking more for information and instructions on how to handle a, a problem rather than you are looking for God to change you. You need to use those as supplements, not as your staple nutrition source. You need a plan. You need a place. Where are you going to read? As you have your plan, you're going to read through a book of the Bible. For those of us in the equip training right now, we're reading through the book of Mark. You could pick that book. Another one that would be good would be the book of Luke. So you have your plan. You're reading through a book. You have a place. So every night when I go to, before I go to bed, I get my Bible, this one right here, and I get my journal. I put it on my desk. So when I wake up, I've got like some freakish habits in the morning. And so one of this is obviously at the top of the list. I'm already prepared. I don't have to think about it. It's one decision I don't have to make. Where's my Bible? Where am I going to sit? I have a plan, and then I'm, I have a place, and then you need to pick a time. You need to pick a time. When are you going to read it? I would venture to say it's not driving to work. That'd be a bad idea, even if you're listening to it. I would say you need a dedicated time, because if God wants to breathe life into you, do you want to be distracted? Would you want God to be distracted when he's breathing life into you, or do you want his undivided attention? So you need a time. Now, in the Bible, we see most people find that time early in the morning. I know some of you, that's disturbing. <laughs> Jesus got up early in the morning. David, one of the great uh, characters in the Bible, one of the great people in the Bible, it says, he said, early in the morning will I seek you. Because once the day starts, once the day starts, it just runs with a vengeance away from you. And if you can read your Bible, it will settle your soul for the day ahead. And it will prepare you for the day ahead. You need a plan. You need a place. You need a time. You need a plan, a place, and a time. Now, for those of us who are going through the equip training experience right now, we're learning this and much more about what it means to have this transform our lives, to establish our character and nourish our souls. And I just want to tell you a little bit about how this, how this worked itself out. I mean, how did I get to this place? My passion and around reading the Bible came way before I was a pastor. Matter of fact, it's how I became a pastor. When I graduated from college, I became an, I was an actuary. At the age of about 25, I gave my, um, is when I gave my life to Christ. Here's how that happened. Debbie and I started going to a church. And um, as we went to that church, we were just looking for friends and just kind of looking to do the right thing. And we began to attend this church. And the pastor there challenged me to read my Bible like, that's simple. It was that simple. It just challenged me. You should read your Bible and you should read it every day. And so that's what I would do. And it started out, I would go to the office and I would go into the office around 6 a.m. And the reason why I went so early is I wanted everybody else who showed up to know I was first. I just had this achievement mentality that I was going to be the best. And I wanted to show off, even though I didn't have that much work to do. So I would go and I started to read my Bible at work. I put it in my briefcase. I can't believe I ever owned a briefcase. I had a briefcase and I would read my Bible. One morning, one of the other guys who was an overachiever and showed up early too, he came and stuck his head in my office and I was reading my Bible. And he said, oh man, I didn't mean to disturb you. And then I realized, you know what? This is kind of an add on. I'm not really giving it my best. And so I began to just sit at home and I would read my Bible before I went into work. And then as one morning while I'm, I'm reading my Bible, and this is after months, 
of reading my Bible, I, I come across this story where Jesus tells about the end time. And he says, you know, the, the kingdom of heaven is going to be a little like uh, this. And he says, on my, on my right is going to be the sheep. On my left are going to be the goats. And on my right, the sheep, I'm going to be their shepherd. On the left are going to be the goats. I'm going to cast them out. They're not going to be a part of my kingdom. And in my, my, my mind, I kind of ask myself the question, like, which side am I on? You know, I, I had this restlessness. I knew something was, was wrong, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. <clears throat> and I had this question. And then it was one of those things you just knew. You know how there are times you just know something? It just settles into your heart. You just, you just know it's true. And I knew which side I was on. It was so clear to me. And I was on the goat side. I, I wasn't going to have Jesus as my shepherd. And in that moment, the stillness of that moment, quiet me, my Bible, and God. I committed to follow Jesus. In that moment, I said, I'll, I'll give you whatever it takes. I'll follow you wherever you, you lead me. I'll try to be the man you've created me to be. And clearly, I've not been perfect, but 30 years later, this is where it's landed me. And I believe that you can have that same life. You know, that Bible that I read there in that closet that day, guess what happened to it? It burned in the fire. But the effect of those words still alive in my heart. Absorb God's words by reading God's word. Let's pray together. <clears throat> God, how generous you are that you would leave us a tangible reminder of who you are, that we could read, that we could understand that you would use the Bible to breathe life into us. God, I pray you would help us not to think it's too hard or it doesn't make sense or whatever. And God, we've just moved past our excuses just to be a people that, that read your words to come alive, not as a weapon to wield against other people who don't believe like we do, but God, as a, as a tool to build us and breathe life into us. God, I pray that it would establish our character. God, I know people are here already and they've gone along in their life without it. And if they're, the fruit of their life is not what they want, they're disappointed, they're discouraged, um, they're convicted. But God, I know that as they begin today to start to read, start to, let, to absorb your words, God, you'll make them different. You'll transform them, you'll change them. And God, we just ask you to do that in Jesus' name, amen.